Yo, what up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. I'm Patrick, flying solo. So your Golden State Warriors are on a five-game winning streak, which ties their longest winning streak of the season. Five, which went from December 25th, the Christmas game against the Grizzlies, and then until I think January 2nd. I forgot who that was against, but that was their fifth win in a row. The Warriors, they beat the New Orleans Pelicans 108-99 at Chase Center on Friday night in a game again that they started off slow and they got into a hole and they came back and they won. And it was really, really entertaining to see to see that come back. You know, it's become kind of a formula over these past few games for them to get behind and then make a furious comeback and uh, and win. And this is awesome. We're seeing things that we didn't see earlier in the season. We're seeing defensive focus. We're seeing commitment to that. And guys are just hitting their strides. You know, we always hoped that they would peak at the right time because, I mean, you preach – at the beginning of the season when the Warriors are in kind of a hole that you don't really care if teams are peaking in November, December, you want to peak when it matters, which is leading into the playoffs right before the playoffs into the playoffs. And that's kind of hopefully what the Warriors are continuing to do. Now, the most important thing, as I keep saying, is that they just get into the tournament. The second most important thing is that they avoid the play in right now. They are just square in fifth place in the West. They are a game behind the Suns for fourth place, and they're a game ahead of the Mavericks for sixth place. The Clippers, they dropped into the play-in. The Clippers are kind of a mess because they just don't know who they are. They're not very cohesive for as much Hall of Fame talent as they have, so not too worried about them right now. But, you know, this game for the Warriors and the stretch in general has been really, really impressive. I've said it's kind of unfortunate that uh, they haven't shown this effort and this commitment throughout the season. I know that there were some bumps with the bench and everything, but even some of these games that they lost maybe in January and February where they had leads and then they just coughed them up. And they allowed teams to score 120 points on the regular, you know, and I get that throughout the season, you know, you're kind of pacing yourself and whatnot, but a little bit more defensive focus could have secured at least maybe five more wins, you know? So that being said, I'll take what I'm getting right now. Honestly, like with Steph out, I said this with the shoulder injury that he had back in November, December, it's an opportunity for guys to step up and really, really take ownership, take more leadership and, you know, get more minutes and really, really prove to Kerr and to everybody else and to themselves what they can do. And oftentimes I leave that more for the young dudes. But in this case, I will say that, you know, and I've talked about this a little bit recently, how Clay is doing a lot more than he used to. He's rebounding, although against the Pelicans, he didn't rebound very well. He's being more vocal. He is, you know, acting like a first option 
he's taking more of an initiative. He's he's leading, you know, and that's something you love to see because Clay has always been the second banana next to Steph, of course. But what I'm seeing from Clay in recent games also is that, and I've referenced this, that he's starting to look a little bit more like 2019 finals clay or just 2019 clay in general. And I've mentioned recently that the world knows him as just a, an amazing shooter. And he is that, but he was always developing his game to come off the dribble a little bit. To, uh, he always had a decent post-up game, but just doing more on the court. And we're seeing that, you know, <laughs> there was uh, a three-pointer in this Pelicans game where he was just kind of passing around and dribbling around and then he got it and then he, you know, put it up from pretty far behind the line and it went in. And it reminded me of the clay that we saw in game six in 2019, right? I have a belief and I've talked about this before that if clay doesn't go out with that ACL injury in game six, uh, and he leads the team to a win, there's a chance, even though Steph had a great series up to that point, there's a chance that if clay and the Warriors can close out in Toronto in game seven. There's like, oh, I mean, he could have been finals MVP, you know? And I, you know, not debating him versus Steph because it's all made up in my mind and hypothetical and a big what if. But the way he was bringing that team back in game six, the way he was just like, he was determined. He was willing the Warriors to a win until Danny Green bumped him on the break. And he tore his ACL. So we're seeing more of that guy who's not hesitant, who's not worried about his injuries, about trying to prove himself anymore. He is going out there and looking determined to win. And it's showing up in his stats, in his demeanor on the court. I mean, against the Pelicans, 34 minutes, 10 for 17. From the field, four for nine. From three... Only one board, four assists, 27 points. That's awesome. And again, Clay, he was never much more than a 19 to 21 point scorer. So seeing him put up these numbers, yes, when Steph comes back, that'll probably uh, reduce a little bit, but maybe not that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not concerned about putting up points and getting 27, 30 points a game. Uh, he's concerned about winning and he looks like he is getting primed for the postseason. I mean, he's been pretty solid since the turn of the calendar. And, you know, he'll have some stinkers, as we all know. But overall, he's doing other things. So even if he has an inefficient night, he's doing all the things that you need from a dude like that. And, you know, when I see the Warriors wearing these uh, black alternate uniforms, the one with the roses and everything I mean, and seeing clay out there it 100 percent reminds me of the 2019 finals where you know clay was wearing the town jersey and he was just getting whatever he wanted mid-range at the basket and from three it's it's great to see right because just i remember when clay got injured right it was such a you just felt for him right all that stuff where he 
went to the hospital and he was like, did we win? And if his dad thought <laughs> that it would affect his free agency at that point, you know what I mean? So seeing Clay come this far, it's, it's kind of a minor miracle. So this bodes well for the immediate future. Another guy I want to talk about is Jonathan Kaminga, 32 minutes, nine for 13, one for two from three, seven boards, four steals, one block, 19 points plus 13, 32 minutes. Let's just think on that because earlier in the season, he started <laughs> not even playing. He's coming off the bench. He was getting DNPs when the Warriors were playing terribly. Now he's getting 32 minutes. We've been wanting to see him get at least 20 and then 25. And now it's between 25, 32. That's great. That's what you want to see because you need him out there. He makes things happen. And when I talk about how you know the goals of a season – when you're a team like the Warriors that is competing for a title, when the goals are health, seeding, and getting the young guys and new guys ready for the bright lights, the pressure of the of the playoffs and a deep postseason run. You know, I've been saying that for a while. It was true last season. It's true this season. And you see that Kaminga is built for it. I mean, he loves competing. He wants to win. He definitely seems like he wants to be great. So all those reports of him being lazy and not trying hard or whatever from the off season that were put out there, like I never bought into those. And it's clear that <laughs> he never did either. So people have acknowledged for a while Kaminga's athleticism, but I think a lot of people have slept on him, right? Because he hasn't gotten consistent minutes up until the last few months. And he hadn't been in the rotation and people had questioned, you know, because let's face facts, a lot of people don't, even though the Warriors are really popular, don't watch full games, especially if they live on the East Coast. Again, I go, I've said this for a while, go back to that Dallas game back, uh, what, November in Dallas, the Warriors lost, but right then and there, Kaminga was not thinking of the game. He was trying to make winning plays and it looks like even now that he's taken a bit of a leap even more so that his instincts and his reactions and his execution is all paying off, right? Whether it's dipping to the basket, whether it's rebounding, whether it's point of attack defense on the best guard or wing on the other team. I mean, he's making strides. And the fact that he's only 20 years old and the fact that... I've always said that he's going to be the Warriors' best player in a couple of years. Might be uh, the top two or three or whatever. But just what he brings, it's a great combination. You know, I know people wanted to trade him for OG and Anobi. I did not, obviously, and I know a lot of other people did not. But as good as Anobi is, I think Kaminga's ceiling is way higher, and his ceiling for even next season is. I mean, he'll be as good as OG really, really, really soon. And plus, he's cheaper. So that's another thing right there. And it brings me to this thought, right? Like, obviously, I was a Wiseman guy. If you have any questions about that, just go look at the old Wiseman episodes. I've talked about him a bunch. But this whole two-timeline thing, right? It's not over. And the two-timeline concept that people made up very much became a uh, a negative thing, right? It had negative connotations because it was about not 
giving Steph what he needs to win and not taking advantage of his prime. And the Warriors traded Wiseman. But the two timeline thing, you could say it's still there, but it's maybe a little bit more measured, a little bit more sane, right? You're not looking at the bench and seeing like a bunch of guys who are all first or second year players. I mean, you'll see a, still several of them, but you know, you add in a Gary Payton the second, even though he's still in street clothes. That being said, you have Jonathan Kaminga, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Jordan Poole, even Moses Moody, and then of course, Ryan Rollins. Not all those guys will make it, will stick. I personally am assuming that Moody will get moved at some point. But if you want to look at the Spurs as an example, right? They had Duncan, uh, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and then they had Kawhi Leonard. They never at any point had the stable of young prospects that the Warriors currently have. You know what I mean? Like Kawhi is Kawhi, but, and I'm not saying that these guys will reach his height, but Kaminga could. Poole, if he, you know, grows his game more and makes better decisions, right? He could get to another level, hopefully, maybe, right? This bodes well for the Warriors' future. So it's not all like, oh, the cupboard is bare. I mean, that's why I've said it at least out of those dudes, don't trade Kaminga, don't trade PBJ because I really like those dudes. <laughs> but this two timeline thing, it could still be really darn useful. <laughs> and we could see a run if they're able to keep this team intact and maybe in the off season, move a Moody, move somebody else to pick up some guy who's maybe late 20s or early 30s, right? To fill in kind of that that uh, gap in terms of experience, you know, so it's still there. It's still there. And potentially next season, I mean, pool's going to have a bigger role. Kaminga's going to have a bigger role. And all I'm saying is I'm, I'm still bummed about Wiseman getting traded, but the two timeline thing, it ain't dead. You know, that might upset some people, but as a fan has been around for decades, I'm here for the long haul, so I don't necessarily want to see this team flame out and then all of a sudden, you know, be back in the lottery because they didn't plan properly for the future. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Is Steph going to go for 30? Is Clay going to hit five threes? Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, I do want to talk about quickly that Lakob interview, the quote in The Athletic. He had an interview with Tim Kawakami where he basically said that he might regret trading Wiseman, he might regret that as soon as this year, next year, whatever. And that it was a decision of quote unquote, we, right? Whether that's coaches, front office, Bob Myers, the 
veteran players. And honestly, like that seemed pretty obvious from all the reporting I'd read and heard. And I personally think like, here's the thing, right? Like to me, it's great having Gary Payton the second back. And as long as he can contribute this season, I get it. I'm good. You know, I will always peek at Wiseman's box score, watch some Pistons games here and there, because even though he wasn't perfect, I mean, the Warriors have turned turned stuff around right now in the past week. And that's not because Wiseman's gone. That's not because Gary Payton II is on the court. You know, don't tell me because Wiseman was <laughs> bad on the bench and Gary Payton II makes everybody so happy. That's not going to change it. But I do think that what Gary Payton II brings is, I mean, obviously top level defense on the perimeter and that Duncan ability, the pressure on the rim, the lob threat, the dunker spot stuff. And people really, really like him on the team. Steph and Gary Payton II are on the bench in sweatsuits all the time, just cracking up, you know, at least at the very least. Uh, Wiseman being gone and Gary Payton II being on the bench gives Steph somebody closer to his age, I guess, that he can hang out with, right? A second generation NBA player as well. But what Gary Payton II brings to the Warriors in the playoffs is, I mean, he just makes their perimeter defense so much better. I mean, because now the Warriors can throw at any team, right? Because wing, even though there's some some very talented bigs and, uh, you know, bigs who are skilled is a direction the NBA seems to be going in. But if you can throw guys on the wing like Gary Payton II, Dante DiVincenzo, Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, and even Clay Thompson on some bigger wings, then that's a lot of dudes, a lot of guys who can really, really put pressure on opposing offenses. Because, hey, maybe a team has a combination of three good perimeter players. Well, you know what? The Warriors have four or five good perimeter defenders. And then in a pinch, Draymond can guard perimeter sometimes still. And maybe he'll get Andre Godala for for a cameo. So that kind of defense is built for the modern day NBA playoff race. And that's exciting to me. I love that. I love that idea. So Gary Payton II, get healthy. Help with the stretch run if you can. And hopefully... Hopefully he's back for the first round. I have no idea. I haven't heard any other updates. I know that three months from the trade deadline was when he was supposed to come back initially, but they're going to reevaluate him a month after that instead and then see where he stands. So hopefully he can come back end of the season. That's That would be ideal, right? Hey, Steph is coming back sooner. Different injury, but hey, you never know. Maybe they, they punt further down the line, set expectations, and then surprise you and bring them back sooner. Another thing about Gary Payton II is, hey, if he helps you make a deep run into the playoffs, a finals run perhaps, that makes Joe Lacob and the Warriors more money, right? More home games. And then I guess you save money on the contract because Wiseman is gone and Payton's there. He takes some of Wiseman's contract slot, but not as much. So, and I know to me, like when people say he costs too much, it's not so much about saving lake of money. Again, it is about the fact that 
having Wiseman on the roster for next season would have made it tougher to sign Draymond Green. And you know that Steph, Kerr, they want Draymond Green on the team. And Wiseman, I mean, it's always confounding to me how hateful people are (laughs) towards James Wiseman, who for all intents and purposes seems like a good kid and tried his best and was getting better. They will nitpick a lot of the things that he does for the Pistons right now and say, oh, he doesn't, he has a terrible plus minus. Uh, The team got blown out. He doesn't get enough rebounds. Man, the kids only played like less than 70 games in the NBA. He is just getting his feet wet. That talent is still there. Yes, he's more of an offensive player. No, he's not the most physical player, but but he'll be solid. He'll be fine. The fact of the matter is like the Warriors overall, even though seemingly Lacob wanted to keep him, the Warriors overall just didn't want to spend the time and take up the salary slot that they knew would likely prevent Draymond from re-signing. If Wiseman were a the 28th pick like Jordan Poole was or PBJ was, then he'd still be on the roster, right? Because then his salary isn't as big of a chunk of the cap of the luxury tax isn't so high. So everybody saying that Wiseman sucks, I think it's a little cruel because they treat him like he's Patrick O'Brien or another bad draft pick, Jacob Evans, the third, who was also the 28th pick. So this kind of, you know, beating a dead horse or uh, victory laps at Wiseman's expense. I don't know. It's kind of funny to me, you know And I mean? I know it's not everybody out there for the most part, most sane people, <laughs> most normal people, uh, most well-adjusted people understand that he's a good, good kid. And there's a reality, right? He's not just a player. You just don't see a player. You see the cap figure emblazoned on his forehead and it's like, okay, he's not just a prospect. He's a prospect who could cost the Warriors money and also Draymond Green. That's something that Steph ultimately put his foot down for. He says, I want Draymond. So uh, we'll see. Draymond might opt out. Draymond might not resign, but it makes it easier to keep him if Wiseman is not around. Anyway, uh, Warriors, they get the Lakers in LA, which could be, you know, Steph's return and could be their sixth win in a row, which would be their best winning streak of the season, the longest winning streak. It could happen, but it's Saturday night in LA. As long as the the team doesn't go out, as long as they don't hit the clubs, then uh, they should be good. But if the Warriors look really bad on Sunday, you'll know. You'll know probably what happened. Anyway, that's all I got for now. All right. Well, that is another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Patrick E. Pino or at Oakland Warriors. Check out our YouTube channel where you can watch this episode, youtube.com slash Oakland Warriors. Check us out at oaklandwarriors.com and be sure to tell your fellow Warrior fan friends to tune in and listen. The Oakland Warriors podcast is produced by National Film Society and is a part of the Basketball Podcast Network. And if you're so inclined, please do leave us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you want to leave us a nice review, 
saying good stuff about the show on Apple Podcasts. That would be hugely, hugely appreciated and it would be very, very helpful. Thanks. That's it. Music in this episode provided by Paper Sun. Special thanks to Paul Amardo for production support. See you next time and go Dubs.